This is My Seminary Life, episode 16, and I'm your host, Brandon Knight. And today we're going to continue revisiting some of my old sermons as we go back to my very first sermon entitled, My Savior, My God. Well, hey, welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a a good Independence Day weekend. I hope it was refreshing and fun, and I hope you still have all your fingers from all your fireworks that you've been setting off. It has been nothing but pop, pop, pop still here by my house. I had a good Independence Day. We had my in-laws over, some of my in-laws. Claire has a very big family. We had them over for a cookout and a bonfire, did some sparklers. I have little nieces and nephews so we did the smaller stuff uh sparklers those i think they're called snakes where you light the little ball of wax and it expands and my personal favorite snaps you know it's like it's basically like gunpowder wrapped up in a bag and you throw it on the ground and it, and it pops really loud that's like my favorite part of it's my favorite firework i'm so simple well hey today we're headed into the wayback machine as we're going to go revisit my First sermon. I'm pretty sure this was my first sermon. I've I had done a lot of devotionals and things like that at school up until this point, but this was the first time I'm pretty sure that I ever got behind the pulpit on a Sunday night service. This is not my first Sunday morning service, but it is the first time I preached, and it was at a Sunday night service. Um, just looking over my notes, it has been. It's been a lot of fun just to sit down and go back through my notes and reminisce about the events leading up to this sermon this past week. And I got a kick out of my my notes. Uh, they're five pages long, all single-sided. Well, that's actually not true, the first pages. Um, so here's here's what I found on the five pieces of paper. So page one was my sermon outline, which was literally one page, not even front and back, just one page. Page two was the handwritten copy of my notes. Page three was the handwritten notes for the sermon, which was mostly Bible references. So these were my notes, but it was basically all cross-referencing other passages. It's what all my notes came down to for my sermon. Page four was my mom's handwritten outline for the sermon. I'll explain that more here in a little bit. And then uh, the fifth page was the order of service for everything. So for that evening, there was like a little handout bulletin for that evening. And I've got that. And what I've been doing is that once I digitalize these old paper notes, I just toss out the old notes. But for this one, I've got it crammed inside one of my Bibles, uh, one of my study Bibles that's a little bit bigger. I got the note, those notes crammed in there because... It's sentimental. It's got some personal value to me. It's five pages of paper that mean nothing, but it it means a little bit to me and probably also my mom. Probably the biggest benefit of the preaching class I took in college was on note-taking and how I format my sermons, which was the biggest difference between how 
I have this sermon laid out and the notes that I have taken and how I do it now. And all of that, how I do it now, the majority of that came from my college sermon class. But besides that, looking over it, there was one illustration in there. I'll talk about this here in a bit. There was one illustration in there that I didn't really like, so I cut it from my revised version. But for the most part, I think this is still a pretty preachable sermon. <clears throat> it needs a lot to it. It needs a lot of meat put onto it. But I think it's still a pretty reusable sermon. But let's go, let's start with the story first. When I was a freshman in high school, so we're talking right around 2008-2009. That's kind of the placement of this story right now. <clears throat> I was a freshman in high school when I got to preach my very first sermon, and here's why. At my time, my at the time, my family was between churches. We had just left a church that we had been at for five or more years, something like that. And we were beginning the wandering of the plains looking for a new church to go to, which if you, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have gone through that process of church hopping, trying to find a place that fits you well. And yeah, it's a, it can be a very, it can be a bit of an exhausting time because you're going from place to place, reintroducing yourself, meeting new people, trying to see how you line up theologically, trying to see what type of ministries the church has. You're there three weeks, you move on to someone else, you start it over. I think after what had happened at the previous church that we had just left, I, I think my parents just needed a bit of something something familiar, something kind of comfortable. And so we landed at a church in Hammond near where my parents live that is where my mom had grown up in church. My parents got married there. We had a lot of family history at this church. People knew them. I They may have known me when I was a baby. I think they just needed something kind of comfortable. I don't think it was ever the plan to stay there long. I think we were just kind of using this as an extended rest stop for us before we go before we would go out and check out other churches but this is this is where we were at and it wasn't it wasn't too bad uh like i said didn't really have to break the ice too much in that process because a lot of people knew my parents already they had this church had just gotten a brand new pastor so there was a little bit of a buzz and excitement over that. And the youth group was smallish, but not too bad. It was, I was, you know, obviously the age to be in youth group and I got into it pretty well. I'm a very introverted person. So trying to assimilate myself with youth groups was always a very hard process for me. The youth group was small. The church was small. It had maybe about a dozen kids in it. The Sunday school class was taught by the pastor of the church. The Wednesday night meetings that was ran by a volunteer, those of you who have gone to Baptist churches know what that's like having just like an older dude who's a volunteer to run things and he's a little quirky. That's, you know, that's what that was. But the Sunday school, that was actually taught by the pastor. And he said the reason that was is 
because he actually wanted to spend time with us. The typically the pastor of the church, you know, he gets to, you know, interact with the youth, but it's primarily his focus is everyone who's not in youth, everyone who's not in high school or younger. And he wanted to make that a little bit of a priority in his ministry to spend a little bit of time with the youth group. So he did Sunday school. And I thought that was kind of cool. Different. I had never really heard of a pastor who did something like that. The church obviously had a Sunday night service. And it was determined by the pastor and the volunteer leader for Wednesday nights that the youth group was going to lead an upcoming Sunday night service. Whether or not this was a normal, routine thing for them, or this was just kind of a, hey, let's try this, let's have the youth do a night, I don't remember. I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details for this story. But from what I do recall, they wanted to do it this one time. I don't think they ever did it again after this point, but they did it this one time. And the part of the reason why they wanted to do it is because there was a guy in the youth group who knew he wanted to go into ministry and the pastor wanted to work with him on writing a sermon and doing the notes and then give him this opportunity to preach. And that guy was not me. That's I'm not trying to do some clever like back way to introduce myself into this story. No. There was another guy in the youth group who I actually had totally forgotten his name until I pulled out that order of service. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that was his name. So this other guy, he, he wanted to go into ministry. He knew that for certain. He knew he wanted to be a pastor. And so they wanted to do this Sunday evening service to show the rest of the church that the youth group is involved and also to give this guy the opportunity to preach. And they were going to give all the rest of the students different things to do. Reading scripture, music specials, leading music, prayer, doing tithe and offering. And I think that's where I was at. I think in the original plan, I was just the guy who was going to do offering. And honestly, I was fine with that. I didn't care. At that point, I didn't really have a buzz to like go out and preach. I did kind of know by this point that I wanted to be in ministry, but I I wasn't upset that I didn't get to preach. I did, however, just casually mention to the pastor, hey, next time you do this, can I preach? And I explained kind of my call to, call to ministry, blah, 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 because it wasn't really known. It wasn't really known that I wanted to be in ministry. Now, I will back up for a second. I don't remember if I just said that, or if my parents were like, you need to tell the pastor that you want to do this too, or I, or if they talked to the pastor, I really don't remember. I'm pretty sure, though, I told him, hey, next time this happens, can I preach? Like, I was very calm, very casual, and that was, that was it. Like, I wasn't really looking for a handout or anything. I was just like, hey, dibs on the next one. Sorry, I got lost in my notes for a second. Okay, there we go. So they talked it over. The pastor and the volunteer leader, they kind of talked things over for a second. Away from me, I, it was like a week later 
then they came up to me and were like, hey, how about you preach this coming service, this coming Sunday night service as well with this other guy? I was like, we can do two sermons in one night? We're allowed to do that? I thought people only show up for one and then leave. That that was, you know, but that was what it was determined. They decided that they would split it. So this other guy would preach first and then I would preach second. And the pastor, he said he would come work with me on writing the sermon and studying and blah, blah, blah. No offense to the pastor, but that never happened. That never happened. Some people have told me that they think it was more, the pastor was more so interested in the other guy because the pastor had expressed very clearly that he saw a lot of himself in this other student, which is fine. Uh, this, you know, we're over 10 years removed from this. Like, I don't care. But he never came and helped me. And so, out of the blue, my mom became an expert sermon writer. Don't know where that came from. <laughs> Um, but I had to write this, I had to write a sermon that was mostly on my own, but my mom came to the rescue. Preaching, I'm going to say some things that may not be like, some people may not like this. Uh, preaching is strange. It's a strange time. Because, obviously, we all know that it's the work of the Holy Spirit who is actually working through me and working in the hearts of those who are listening to pull them up to be more like Christ, to be transforming them through truth. We talked about that in Spiritual Formation. Go check out those first eight episodes if you have not heard our talks on Spiritual Formation, especially the My Theology of Sanctification episode. But the weird thing about preaching is that, like a lot of skills, once you've seen it done your entire life, you can kind of get the mechanics down of what goes into a sermon. And a sermon, to some degree, is just a speech with a call to action. It's kind of a persuasive speech in the real nuts and bolts line of it and how I go out there and preach matters. My, my tone, my dress, all my outward communication skills does matter in the process. I think people may disagree with me. That's fine. I think that I have a responsibility towards how I present myself when I preach and the Holy Spirit works. I, I think there's a little bit of both going on here. And so, having been in church her entire life, my mom sits down with me and we brainstorm. I came up with an idea. She came up with an idea. And we went with her idea because it was her idea. <laughs> I love you, Mom. Uh, I, we, But it was fine. It was a good sermon. And she... You know, we sat down, we outlined it. I put a lot of the meat and the creativity on it myself, but just kind of like the general, the general outline, the general flow, ideas for the passage, ideas for uh, illustrations. Like that was a lot of my mom. My mom helped with a lot of that stuff. And 
we put it together, my mom and I. We put the sermon together. The pastor never got a chance to come over to help us, but it's fine. Because the sermon went really, really well. The sermon, like I said, went really, really well. The The evening service came along, and... I mentioned that my parents, my mom grew up in the church and my, my dad, my parents met there and they got married. But along with that, um, my grandparents, obviously, if my mom was raised there, went to this church as well. And funnest of facts, my great grandparents literally helped build this church, like the actual like building part. So great grandparents, grandparents, my parents, like I had a lot of family history running into this evening into this church and when I got there in my little suit you know and getting get my stuff got my bible ready got my notes all falling over the place as I'm getting ready had all these sweet little old ladies who you know even knew my great-grandparents telling me how proud that they would be of me and oh you can do a collective awe in your car as you're listening to this oh isn't that sweet I it, I thought so it meant a lot to me and the service came and went. It was fine. Everything went well. And I don't know how to say this next part without sounding like a prideful jerk. So here's where it is. The other guy did fine. He was in his notes a lot. I did fine. I was in my notes less. I am in my notes even less now. But there was this period of time where I was really heavily tied to my notes. But one thing that was that I have always had, even surprisingly as a freshman in high school, is that I have always had natural, more natural stage presence. Even as a freshman in high school, I am very comfortable up front, in front of people, talking. I just... I liked speech class in high school. My minors in communications in college, like I talking in front of people, as long as I have a little bit of time to prep does not bother me. And which is a plus when you want to preach. And so even then as a freshman in high school, that was evident. Even the pastor was a little bit surprised how well it went. And it, a lot of it comes down to that natural stage presence that I have no knock against the other guy. Cause it was, like, I, I was a freshman in high school. Like, it wasn't great. I know that in my mind, that it wasn't that great. But it was better than... We both did better than what was expected. And we'll leave it at that. And the sermon that I preached that night went a little like this. So the title of the sermon is My Savior, My God, which I totally stole from Aaron Schust. Uh, he has a song by the exact same title, and I liked it. The The song itself kind of connects to the sermon, but it was the title that I really liked. Because the, the overarching point of my sermon is the uh, having a personal relationship with God. So I like the whole, my Savior, my God. Like, this is my relationship with Him. And I got to tell Aaron Schuess that several years later after a concert. True story, subtle brag, back to the actual story now. (laughs) 
I, uh, I start the sermon off talking about how, my, uh, talking about that family history in this church, uh, the, what I just ran through with my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. I, I talk about all of that and I, I ask the question, so that makes me a Christian, right? Dead silence, you know, you know, you know how preachers preach. And then I talk about all the different things that I have inherited from my parents or from my family. So bad eyesight, psoriasis, sarcasm, they all get good laughs at that point. And I actually do remember people laughing at that point. And I, I asked the question, so faith is inherited, right? I then talk about other things that I have inherited from my family. Faith in Jesus is a decision each one of us has to make for ourselves. It's kind of the big idea. I don't have any, like, big idea, points. I don't have anything like that. I would say that would be the big idea for the sermon, is that you can't inherit salvation, or your family can't save you, or something like that. I then take us over to John 3, 3 through 6. My notes literally say, explanation that we need to be born again. Obviously, I had way more of this memorized and internalized in my head than I do now. Thanks, freshman Brandon. That really is helpful right now. But yeah, we need to be born again. That's true, freshman Brandon. Then I read, then I read John 3, 14 through 20. And again, all my notes say is, Explain the first part is how to get saved. Second part about why people don't want salvation. Cool. Thanks again. I got to say, I I write way more in depth now. Like, I basically write manuscripts at this point. I don't just go up there and wing it anymore. I write manuscripts so that way, like, even my notes for this podcast is basically a manuscript so that way... I have a place that can kind of drag me back into the flow rather than looking down and just see, explain this thing. And I'm like, uh, like blanking at that moment. Next passage I take us to is Numbers 21, 5 through 9, which is where Jesus is referring to the time that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That is in that John 14 through uh, that previous section, 14 through 20. Yes, it's, yeah, it's verse 14, if I remember right. Um, and this Numbers 21, 5 through 9, that's the actual story of this event happening. Uh, Moses had to, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and so Jesus had to be lifted up too. In my notes, which I am surprised I thought of this, or maybe this was my mom, I don't know. Either way, one of us came up with this. I have written, you had to personally look at the serpent in order to be healed, just like how you have to personally turn to Jesus to be saved. That's pretty good. Yeah, you're getting it, freshman Brandon. I like that. That still preaches. It's pretty good, like, typology and, like, understanding... Old Testament symbolism for something further, that's something that's going to happen further on with Jesus Christ. Your spouse, your parents, they couldn't look at the staff 
back in so back in this story, maybe I should like explain this a little bit. In that number story, Israel got in trouble. Israel had fallen out of the covenant. God sends these serpents and they're biting people and poisoning them. And God says, tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on a staff, hold it up, and everyone who looks at it will be healed. But you had to look at it yourself. Your spouse, your parents, they couldn't look at it to save all of you. You had to look at it yourself to be healed. And that it's the same way with Christ, that we have to personally make this commitment to him rather than just, you know, my family, my grandparents, my great-grandparents having this faith and it being transferred over to me as well. To support that, I, to support that, I also referenced Psalm 62.7 to show how the psalmist is saying that God is his salvation. Again, trying to underline this personal aspect of our faith. My God. My highly detailed notes then have me reading Psalm, or excuse me, Romans 6.23 and John 8.12 with a note to talk about sin and why we need a savior. All right. Sounds good, freshman Brandon. Will do. I can skip this next part because after I talk about sin, I go into my testimony, which was even shorter there in 2009 or whatever. But I'm going to skip it for now because you can just go back to the previous episode of this podcast and listen to my testimony all the way through to the most recent of times. And yeah, it will be, it's much longer and very enjoyable. So check that out. Anyway, going on. In my original notes, I then use this analogy of being on a safari and you get bit by a poisonous snake and you have the medicine on hand in your bag, but you have to make the decision to go get it out of the bag to administer it. Okay, it's it's a fine it's a it's a fine illustration. I I'm just not really into anymore the generic story sermon illustrations. That was that was what I used a lot early on. There's whole books and websites devoted to these generic, maybe made up, maybe real, probably not real sermon illustrations on a variety of different topics and subjects to help fill in your sermon. I have felt more connected with the audience when I use real stories, stories from my life or stories that I know are true, rather than these uh filler sermon stories <laughs> we were just this week we were watching uh a John Mulaney stand-up special on Netflix and he was raised Catholic and he even pokes fun at this a little bit too he talks about how when he was going to mass when he was a kid it was the uh the homily I think is what they call it in the Catholic Church and he was like it was like a book report from the priest with a joke that wasn't funny at the beginning and a story that was usually made up. And he like shares this, he starts doing in a, like a very pious sounding voice, like a woman goes to a shopping mall. And then in a childlike voice, he goes, 
hey, father, you, what's the name of the shopping mall and the name of the woman? There doesn't seem to be a lot of details to this story. And that's kind of that's kind of how I honestly feel now about those like filler sermon illustrations is that I don't know. I, I would prefer to use something that I know is real because real stories with real details that that's more that connects better with people because they know it's real because they know that this has happened. And so they can sympathize or empathize or connect with it in some way. Anyway, all that to say, I cut the safari story out of my notes. I did keep one final line from this uh, illustration. And that is that uh, we don't really know how Nicodemus' story ends, at least here in John three, it just kind of like conversation over. We go about to the next business and I encourage the audience not to let their story end in a similar way of people not really knowing what was their final decision. I conclude the sermon by inviting people to make a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ. Your connection can't your connections can't get you into heaven, ending it on a very Baptisty note of a altar call go Baptist. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> and that's it. And that that's the whole story and the whole sermon. Like I said, it was fine. It was good. I enjoyed it. Um, everyone was proud of me. Thanks, everybody. And it really got that bug going for times coming forward of wanting to preach and teach more often. But what do you think? I think that this sermon is still pretty okay. I, it's it's more of a skin and bones outline compared to what I how I write now. But hey, I could throw some more meat on it, explain write those explanations that I should have written originally, and might have a pretty decent sermon here on hand. But what do you think? Do you think this is a preachable sermon still? Do you like this uh, connection that is found in the book of Numbers? Let me know by heading over to our Facebook page, My Seminary Life and commenting on the link for this podcast episode. And if you haven't yet while you're over there, make sure to hit that big blue like button so you can stay up to date on all of the information. You can also send us a voicemail over on our Anchor page, or you can follow me specifically on TikTok and Instagram at just.brandon.k. That is K like the letter K just.brandon.k. And of course, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please do the thing of rating and reviewing it. Do that for all of your podcasts because it helps our shows get generated through the algorithm so that way it comes up on other people's suggested feeds uh, and they can find it that way. Or if you don't want to write a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, Go back over to that Facebook page and write a review. I'm, I think that's an option. If it isn't, I'll work on making sure that that is up, that you can write reviews on the Facebook page. So that way, people who see the page can see that this is a show worth listening to. And I think that is it on the business, business, business side. Oh, and of course, hey, tell a friend. Tell a friend about the show. Okay, that's it for the business, business, business part. How did I forget that part? Um. So thanks again for listening. Next week, 
we will keep this revisiting train going. But this time, instead of a sermon, we're going to go look, go to a Sunday school classroom. We got a Sunday school lesson for us next week. And a rather bittersweet personal story to go with it. This is a story I haven't shared very often at all. And so I encourage you to come back and hear about it. But until next time, I'm Brandon Knight. Keep on studying.